Welcome to Mind Love, episode 81. Today's episode is all about real self-care for mind, body, and soul. Sometimes the reason why they're craving that has nothing to do with the actual food or what they may tell themselves they're getting from the food. It has to do with a period or a time in their life that they made a certain association with that food. So sometimes being able to identify First of all, why they crave that food, what it is that they love about that food. Is it really the taste or is it a memory? Is it a smell? Is it a texture? We're able to sort of isolate where that comfort comes from. If you're coming from a place of love and celebration for yourself, your day, your week, who you're with, then how you receive that apple pie and how it goes into your body is going to process much differently. Then if you have that with guilt and shame and you beat yourself up after it and understanding that you have that connection to everything that you're putting into your body. Turn up your frequency with mind love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. Have you tapped the subscribe button yet? More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more mind love. Hello, my wild friends. Have you ever thought about how interesting it is that most humans don't really know how to care for themselves? We don't learn how to keep ourselves healthy in a real way. We don't learn how to manage our emotions. We don't learn how to find fulfillment. And then so many of us reach a point where we think, is this all there is? If I'm not happy now, will I ever be? You think that this would be the absolute number one thing that they teach in schools. I mean, what's more relevant to basic survival? that war that happened in 1861, or how to freaking feed yourself so you don't die mid-life. This used to really bother me until I realized how long it actually takes for school curriculum to go through the approval process anyways. Usually it takes like 10 years for new information to make it into a textbook. I have a friend who got a degree in nutrition, and while she was in the course, all she kept thinking was how outdated everything was. So are we doomed? No. The takeaway is that we need to learn to take our health and our happiness into our own hands. We need to learn how to really, truly care for ourselves. People read a ton of books on how to care for their brand new baby, but a lot of people don't even think to read a book on how to take care of themselves. Ironic, right? Today's episode covers a range in healthcare from nutrition to passion. And our guest is celebrity chef and nutritionist Serena Poon. Her mission is to promote further education around the mindful combination of food, nutrition, and healing intuition in what she has coined culinary alchemy. Think about it. Remember chemistry class, that class that 99% of us really never thought about after it ended? Well, when we feed our bodies, we're basically adding elements that can cause chemical reactions, you know, like beans and gas. So when you educate yourself on nutrition and superfoods, you can level up your brain and body in powerful ways. We gave a bunch of examples of this back in episode 78 when we talked to Taro about the crazy benefits of mushrooms. Well, today we will learn why self-care is the least selfish thing that you can do, how to break free from emotional dependency, and how to satisfy unhealthy cravings in healthier ways. Before we dive in, I want to make sure you know about the morning mind love. It's the easiest way to start each day with a little reminder about how magical you really are. I get messages from people every single day about how the morning mind love is their favorite way to start the day, or that the message that just came through is exactly what they needed to hear. Just visit mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. You'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. You'll get a free guided affirmation meditation to align your subconscious with your highest self, And you'll get a really cool booklet of Powerless, so you can start getting clear on what you want and what really makes you happy. And it's all completely free. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word MORNING to 33777. That's MORNING to 33777. And now let's welcome Serena Poon to the show. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited. 
I love the concept of culinary alchemy. And I'm curious, what inspired you to go down that path? My parents and their journey with cancer was really sort of what kind of started me. Um, my dad was diagnosed with stage four cancer when I was a senior in college. And at that point, I was already kind of studying nutrition because it was of interest to me, but pre-law because that was sort of what I was expected to be, you know, I'm first generation Chinese American family. I'm supposed to be either a doctor, lawyer, dentist, CPA, rocket scientist, something along those lines. So I chose pre-law and I was doing that when my dad got sick. And that was when I really sort of dived into alternative medicines and herbs and plants to just try and find options to help him feel better, bring him comfort, um, to at least alleviate some of the symptoms that he had. And after about a year and three months, he left us in this life. And two months after that, my mom was diagnosed with cancer. So it was kind of like we're immediately in that space again, trying Western medicine, Eastern medicine, and different plants and herbs. And you know, she's still with us today, thank goodness. And I think, again, probably because my dad was an angel watching out over us. But that was really sort of where my journey began. And what led me to the decision to go to culinary school to really understand the healing arts in the culinary arts and how I could combine the to use food as medicine. But during the course of that journey, and then the years after in my own personal journey of self-development, I really understood how important the emotional and the spiritual body was in connection with our physical body to truly have optimal health and healing. And so that's really how culinary alchemy came to be. And of course, I had some issues in my own personal journey with health and, you know, the stress that all of this sort of caused and not really processing from an emotional place what we had gone through as a family and what my parents had gone through. So that ended up leading to several surgeries that I had to have on my own and really sort of understanding how that pillar of health and what had become, what is now culinary alchemy, that pillar of mindful emotional and spiritual healing and nurturing was so important. So that's really kind of how it's evolved over the years. So for listeners who might be out there thinking, well, what the heck is culinary alchemy? How would you explain it to someone who has never heard about it before? I've heard that term tossed around here or there from different chefs. But for me, culinary alchemy truly is that magic of combining education and really educating not just yourself, but also my clients and my community about food and nutrition. And with nutrition, I always sort of take it from different philosophies and modalities. So there's Ayurvedic, there's Chinese medicine, there's of course, Western and what I kind of call modern nutrition. And what did, did I say Ayurvedic? Yes. So and holistic and alternative. So it's kind of a combination of all of it, plus healing intuitive energies since I do Reiki, and also I do quantum healing. So it's feeding our bodies, and it's not just feeding our physical body, but it's also feeding our spiritual and emotional body as well, because there are foods that feed those bodies within us. So whether you're someone that understands the chakra system or not, that's part of what culinary alchemy is. So there are certain foods that may, you know, depending on what's going on in your life, depending on what your goals are that may feed aspects of your physical body because of the vitamins and the nutrients, antioxidants, and all the physical properties of a particular food or ingredient. But simultaneously, it may or may not serve your spiritual body depending on what is going on with you. So what we do with culinary alchemy is we kind of create a plan and a program with lists of foods and ingredients that we use to feed all bodies, all aspects of your health. So are you saying that what we eat could even in some direct or indirect way affect our emotions when we're dealing with something in our life? A hundred percent. Absolutely it can. I mean, even something as simple as you feel like you just need grounding. There are earthy foods, vegetables, plants um, that really kind of ground you and bring you back to your center when you're having 
kind of a crazy day or a stressful day, or you're just sort of feeling grounded because there's a lot of frenetic energy going around you. Or even if you just had a healing session and or a breath work session and you're healing kind of outside of yourself and ungrounded, there are foods that we can put into our bodies that immediately sort of center you and ground you. So thinking back to your story and the struggle that brought you to this place just reminds me of when my dad died. I remember being mad at myself for not knowing more. I don't think my dad changed his diet at all when we were going through the process of chemotherapy. We didn't even really realize that was an option. We just knew we had to fight. And so as I educated myself after that, there were a lot of mixed emotions on just wishing there was something more that I could have done. I'm curious, what were you going through, especially given that you had to deal with this with both parents? It was a really tough time. Um, I didn't actually comprehend what our dad was saying to us when he sat us down and told us about his diagnosis because there had not been anyone else in our family or that I knew of or was close to that had cancer. So I didn't really understand when he said I might have five years, which was, you know, obviously a lie that he told his kids at the time because he knew that he didn't, but knew that we probably couldn't handle more than that. You know, there's a lot of desperation in trying to find a cure or a medicine or anything. And so I, like you, I felt angry. I felt frustrated and so sad that the information that we have now wasn't available at the time that this was happening. So there was a lot of that feeling and and it was really hard. That was sort of the beginning of what turned to my own health journey. And so much of the stress and the lack of self-care and the lack of self-love for myself and my own body, because after my dad passed away, it was actually even before he passed away, I shifted gears so instantaneously. It was like I was 20, 21 and instantly an adult trying to take care of everyone else around me. And it just kind of my purpose sort of boiled down to, okay. It's just the health and happiness of my loved ones that matter, nothing else. And I will do whatever it takes to make those people happy. So, which is great in one sense, the intention is good behind it, but ended up sacrificing my own health, well-being, my own sleep, my own needs in order to make sure that someone else was happy and taken care of. And then when my mom got sick two months after my dad passed, I mean, that was in shifted into eighth year. So I never didn't really have time at that time to really process the grief or the trauma because we kind of shifted into trying to save her life because her cancer was so rare that the doctors were sort of like, well, we have about 25 case studies before you. So we don't really have a clear cut way of how we're going to do this that we know will be successful. So let's just blast you. And this is how we're going to give it a try. So that was really what happened two months later. And she was so young too. She was 45. She had to have a full hysterectomy and she hadn't processed the love of her life being gone. And at that point, she really just wanted to just join him. And it was tough. And that's probably the most honest thing I can say about it. It was so tough and honestly kind of a blur. And then just in order to sort of pull myself out of that, I just made other people's health their happiness and well-being, my focus point. What kind of cancer did she have? She had ovarian. Mm. And it was definitely stress-related because no one else in her family has ever had cancer, even before that or after. No history of it. And so that's why self-care, even though in the first few years, wasn't something that I really connected to. It has become such like the root and sort of foundation of my practice of my program of what I teach, whether it's about nutrition, whether it's about mindset or mindfulness, or even physical love for yourself. I mean, that's the slogan for our Just Add Water product, which is to simplify your self-care because that self-care is fundamental. And at the time when my mom was sick and with her diagnosis, from the time they diagnosed her to the time that she had surgery, in those weeks, that cancer, her tumor had grown so rapidly that they're able to sort of date back to when it started. And of course, it started when my dad was at his sickest, you know, those last few weeks. 
to a month before he passed. And it was another indicator of what stress can do to your body. And stress is this sort of, it's this almost undefinable thing that can happen and cause so much, so much trauma and disease. And in order to really get around all that, it's having a mindful practice of self-care and all these different pillars of, of your health. I can relate to that so much. Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do, and there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth. And as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. You know I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring, too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed, because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I can relate to that so much. For me, just through this journey of not only having a podcast, but consistently creating content and working on this keynote that has one message delivered succinctly and with the audience in mind. And I've gone back and realized that, first of all, one of my biggest issues that I've always struggled with is diverting attention away from myself. And so through college and through my trauma, a lot of that had to do with alcohol and drugs and any avenue of numbing, really. So those behaviors are a little bit easier to spot. They're pretty obvious red flags, especially when you take them to a whole new level like I tended to do. But there are some less severe ways that we still end up neglecting ourselves in a way. And that can take the form of social media and scrolling through everyone else's lives instead of creating our own. Or it can take the form of just distractions, always having to be around people. And one thing that I realized is that the times that I have been most bothered by how other people are living their lives is when there's something that I am not addressing on my own. Like it's easier to fix them than it is to fix myself. But it's kind of sneaky because it can seem like of course I'm doing something good. 
So I think we just have to make a point to zoom out and look at the bigger picture. If the way I'm helping somebody else is somehow taking away from my ability to care for myself, that might be a red flag. And at the very least, I need to give myself some of that love too. Yeah. I mean, even though it comes from a good place, it's so important to sort of really be truly honest with yourself. And it's like, if I'm focusing so much attention on helping the needs of someone else, like why? What's the why behind that? Yes, it is because we love them and we want to help them. But there's also that other hidden sort of reason, which is because you don't want to focus on yourself because there are things that you don't necessarily want to acknowledge, to process, to deal with. And I think that being with yourself and being by yourself, even when it doesn't feel comfortable and it doesn't feel good, is so important because that's really when all the answers come is setting aside that time and having those conversations with yourself and really kind of diving into your why. And that's what's really helped me to get to the place where I am. Because like you, I am also an empath and I do feel everything. And I'm sure you've experienced this too. Sometimes it can actually make you physically sick when you are taking in other people's energies and carrying it for them. Or when you become almost like a lifeline for some people and they're sort of siphoning your energy to feed their own. So it's something that you have to sort of ask yourself why and do you really need that? And the answer is that you don't. You know, you really have everything that you need within yourself. And when other people can see you doing that and living it and breathing that, it really helps to empower them when you're a living, breathing example that everything you need is right here within yourself. A previous guest, I believe it was Janet Raftis, said, it is spiritually irresponsible to take on the feelings of another person. And first of all, as an empath, my mind was blown. That was kind of a big stepping point for me in just understanding the importance of caring for my emotions and making sure that my emotions are separate from somebody else. Well, then I went down the rabbit hole of understanding emotional responsibility and realizing how many people tie their emotions to another person. As in when you think, you made me mad or this person made me jealous. We should always be looking at our emotions as dependent from somebody else. They're our responsibility. And so then that brings me to the idea that the best thing that we can do for not only ourselves, but for everyone around us is to take care of ourselves emotionally and spiritually. Because just as you wouldn't go into work if you had the flu, because you wouldn't want to get all of your coworkers sick, if your energy is toxic or dark and gloomy, that shit's contagious. So you're going to affect everybody around you, your family, your kids, your coworkers, the guy at Starbucks. So you owe it to not just yourself, but to absolutely everybody to take care of yourself first. A hundred percent. And I think that there's a lot of people that come to that realization at some point. Some know, some have friends or guides, mentors, coaches, or healers that can help them with that. And then there are also the people that haven't sort of made that connection yet and don't understand. And I think that as healers or as empaths, you know, or just as a friend to someone who's going through that, it's good to sort of educate them and let the, allow them to kind of help guide them to go within themselves and give them the resources that may have been useful to us. But you're 100% right. We are each responsible for our own energies and our own feelings and our own processes. You know, it's important to have community. It's important to have support and guides and mentors. But at the end of the day, it's really up to us. And that may be daunting for some, but it's actually so empowering so empowering to know that you can heal yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, mentally. You can heal yourself. When did you start to finally understand that you needed to flip things around and start focusing on yourself instead of everyone else? I would say that it kind of happened in small increments and then one big just kick me to the ground. This is what you have to do. So you know, I had had some health issues. I had a couple surgeries here and there. 
after my mom was at that point in remission, I felt like I needed to finally take care of myself a little bit. I was having these just maybe it was digestive issues, hormonal issues, nothing that was so severe that I felt like I needed to do some sort of deep dive and figure things out. But I did have several surgeries. And the first one was because I had some bad tissue that I needed to remove, damaged tissue. And it all came from sort of a place of so much inflammation, so much stress coming from what had happened with my family several years back and just not really acknowledging it, not really taking care of myself. And inflammation, as you know, can create disease. So after that surgery, I ended up getting MRSA, which is the deadly staph infection right after, straight out of the OR. And that kind of was an ongoing issue for me for a few years because I kept having surgery to try and get it out. And the surgeon that I had at the time was not able to isolate where this bacteria was sort of hiding itself inside my body. So we'd remove tissue, graft tissue. I'd go through all this treatment and I was still sick. So finally, after it was my fourth surgery, about 12 days post-op, I had a massive hemorrhage, um, hematoma, actually hematoma. And I lost about two liters of blood. It was a weekend, a Saturday. I was bleeding out in my apartment. I was bleeding out because the blood was pouring internally and then finally had nowhere to go. So it was starting to come out. This is a little graphic. I'm sorry for your listeners, but it was starting to come out anywhere that it could. So anywhere where I had stitches, it was terrifying and painful, but actually it's interesting because your body gets to a place of shock pretty quickly when the pain gets to be too much. And so I'm blessed with incredible clients who I'm lucky have certain privileges in town and they were able to get me into a private surgical center. I don't know if you call it a trauma unit, but it was like a trauma setup and their doctors pretty much saved my life. And so after that, I wasn't able because my recovery was pretty intense. I'd lost so much blood. They had to go back into surgery again, but I was so, my hemoglobin was so low and I was so anemic that they couldn't have surgery again because it would have been I was at risk for necrosis is when your body tissue doesn't heal properly and it starts to basically decay or rot. So that was when I just had to take control of my own health. And despite what the doctor said about it taking months for me to get back to a certain place with my labs and my numbers, I just fast forwarded with the knowledge that I had within me about nutrition and healing and just made myself my own client, like a patient, and I was able to fast track my healing into five weeks, got myself back into the OR for them to repair all the damage that had happened, which was successful to a degree, but the MRSA was still there. And I was healing and not able to use one side of my body for a few months. And as a chef, you know, that's like, what am I supposed to do if I am not able to use my left arm and that side of my body? And it was at that point that I realized, okay, I can continue to be really depressed and really sad and isolated because that's what I did when I got to that point was I isolated myself and I didn't want to be around people and I didn't want to see people. I'd go grocery shopping at night so I didn't have to run into anybody. I just kind of got to a place where I thought, okay, I don't want to be a victim anymore. I don't want to feel this way. What am I going to do with the rest of my life? Here is what I have inside of me. I have all this knowledge, all the studies and everything that I know that I just sort of give to my clients and I give away. And I don't have any problems with that, but there's something that I can do there that can create what my income will be until I'm healed, until I'm healed to the point where I can use both arms again. And that's when I started creating these nutrition programs and consulting for not just private clients, but for big companies. And about, I think it was four months after that, I signed a massive contract that I'm so grateful for. And that kind of, that carried me into the next chapter and the next phase. But it it was really sort of just, you know, you take a look at yourself and you're like, is this how I want to be living? Does this even make sense? What can I do? What resources do I have? And that's when I made that 
sort of giant pivot and acknowledging where I was at emotionally and spiritually. And that's sort of also when I really dived into spirituality a lot more and taking responsibility for where I was at. It wasn't just that like, oh, this happened and life happened to me. It was taking responsibility for the fact that I wasn't taking care of myself the way I could have for many years. And that that was all a contributing factor and just owning that this is part of my journey. And now I use every aspect of my journey in my programming, in my speaking, in my teachings, and it has helped heal others. So a lot of it is just a perspective shift, but you have to own everything about yourself. And that's why I'm always sort of saying you have to be really honest with yourself about who you are and what you're doing and why you are where you're at. Right. It's when we stop playing the victim of our own circumstances that we're actually able to step into the power because these things can either break us or they can serve as a doorway to an opportunity where we can step into a fuller, more complete, more empowering version of ourselves. And I think that's the perspective shift that so many people miss. I agree with you a hundred percent. It's just, it really is an opportunity. It just, it's how you want to look at it. And I think that nine out of 10 times, if you ask someone, do you want to be happy or do you want to be unhappy? Is this happiness for you right now? What are you doing to contribute to your happiness if that's what you want? And what are you doing to contribute to this situation? There are circumstances that just sort of happen in life sometimes. But when you dive in and you ask yourself the why and the how, and if you have responsibility for any part of that, You need to own that because you have 100% power behind your own actions, your own thoughts, and you can always shift them. You're not relying on someone else to do that for you. I love that point because I think so many people expect happiness to happen, just happen for them. And in one way, happiness is your birthright. Happiness is everyone's birthright. Everyone deserves to be happy. But it's not going to be handed to you. I think you have to earn it. And so what it takes is, first of all, spending enough time with yourself and spending enough time reflecting and trying a bunch of different things in this world so that you know what is going to fulfill you. You have to know yourself to know how to fulfill yourself. And then you have to choose happiness. You have to choose to take action on all of those things that you just discovered about yourself. Otherwise, I think our default is to grasp outside of ourselves or to consume what the media feeds us or to be influenced by what somebody else says makes them happy. But that's their path to happiness. It's not yours. We're all unique. A hundred percent. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything, like this dark cloud is over my day and I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted like this is how it's always been. Those types of days used to last months and now they're pretty few and far between and they rarely last more than a few hours, but it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than, but if we keep them bottled up, The shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. 
Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. People will look through Instagram feeds or what's on their laptop or what's on TV. And, you know, too often people make that assumption that it just happened magically for them. Just like overnight, that person lives that life and everything is earned. You don't go to the gym for one day and come out fit and strong and having endurance. I mean, that takes work and you sort of earn that for yourself. And I would say that just like your physical body in the gym, your emotional body, your spiritual body, all of that takes it takes work and you earn it. You earn it by doing the work. You earn it by having your practices, your rituals and your routines and really doing the work. And it's all worth it at the end of it. But people need to be reminded about that sometimes. That happiness, that success, that place of peace or calm that does not happen overnight. It can happen in a short period of time, but it's really up to you and how much focused attention you want to give to it, you know, and how much work you want to give it. One thing that I feel kind of kinship with you is that we are both so focused on self-love and we realize that if we show up for ourselves first, it's going to magnify our energy to show up for all of the people around us. So I want to see how this ties into culinary alchemy. I know that different foods affect your chakras, affect your mind, affect your energy. So I'm curious, what are we looking for when we're looking to possibly broaden our love for ourselves? Are we trying to target, I would assume, the heart chakra? Well, it's not always the heart chakra. It's interesting. You know, there are foods you can eat to feed your heart chakra, but everybody's a little different. Some people struggle. They have open hearts, but they have closed throat chakras. Some people struggle with issues or events in their life that affect their sacral or their solar plex. So with everybody, it is really a little bit different. And what's important to know is not just the foods you eat, but how you receive the foods that you're eating. If you live a healthy life, but you have your off day or, you know, people like to use the term cheat day. I've used it too. I don't really like using the term cheat day, to be honest, because it's not always just about those foods, and the nutrients or lack of, I mean, yes, on paper, X, Y, and Z, I agree 100%. I wouldn't tell you to sit there and eat an apple pie every single day. But if you have a clean diet on a regular basis, and you want to go and enjoy a night out with your friends, and you want to have an apple pie, and it's not vegan or gluten-free, and you made that decision, and if that decision doesn't come from a place of compensating for something that you lack, you're not anesthetizing feelings. If you're coming from a place of love and celebration for yourself, your day, your week, who you're with, then how you receive that apple pie and how it goes into your body is going to process much differently than if you have that with guilt and shame and you beat yourself up after it. You can try it. You can try it yourself today or tomorrow, the next opportunity that you have and see how your body physically responds to having something like that, something like a dessert you wouldn't normally have. So that's part of the culinary alchemy as well. And understanding that you have that connection to everything that you're putting into your body. And that is, again, also part of self-care and self-love. That makes perfect sense. And I think sometimes people forget how important how we feel about something is on how our body or our mind reacts to it. And so that, for me, is why veganism ended up being so healing. Looking back, I had a terrible relationship with food most of my life. I was even the little kid who would hide all the cookies or hide my Halloween candy in a drawer and, like, binge eat it. So when I became vegan, first of all, this was the first time I had ever been that educated on food and what it actually was doing to me instead of just what I learned from the corrupt food pyramid we learned in school or the deceptive messaging on health food boxes. So number one, I had the education. I knew what I was looking for. I knew the basics of real nutrition. And then second, I was able to feel really good about where my food was coming from. 
I just remember having a vegan dessert one day and feeling so grateful because this was the first time I had eaten a dessert since I was like 13 years old that I didn't feel a ton of guilt because I knew it was made with almond flour and dates and a natural sweetener. So it was just a huge relief that, yes, it's okay to enjoy food without being so guilt-ridden. No. And especially when you're having locally sourced products, things, products that are organic. I mean, there is intention and love and gratitude and respect for the ingredients that go into that final dish, or if you're just sourcing those ingredients on your own. And that energy, that energetic connection to the earth and to these products that go and translate into our body has massive power behind it. You know, when you understand that, when you're educated with that information, it changes and shifts your perspective on food. You're having vegetables that have been nurtured by this farmer and given everything that it needs, all the proper vitamins and waters into the soil and it's clean soil and there's no pesticides. I mean, all of that, that not just from a strictly nutritional point of view, from a physiological point of view has benefits and power behind it. From an energetic perspective, it has power behind it. You are nurturing your body with energy and power from the plants, from the earth. It's like a domino effect started with the farmers and the seeds. And it goes, passes through all these hands because people who are using these products have the same amount of energy and respect and gratitude for these products. And then it goes to you. So it's almost like exponential by the time it goes into your body. So I know one of the biggest struggles that people have when it comes to food are those really heavy, insatiable food cravings. Are you able to tell what might be lacking in somebody's diet based on what they're craving? Yes, actually. Uh, it depends what it is that they're craving. You know, oftentimes it's sugar. Sometimes it can be salt. Sometimes it can be comfort foods. So depending on what their comfort foods are, sometimes the reason why they're craving that has nothing to do with the actual food or what they may tell themselves they're getting from the food. It has to do with, with a period or a time in their life that they made a certain association with that food. And if they're going through a lot and it's stressful and they're having a crazy week with work, or maybe they're not getting along with a partner or a friend or whatever it is, they crave a certain food that they, let's just for example, say it's a dish that their mom or their grandmother made. They don't crave it that often, but every once in a while, especially when they're stressed out, they want that dish, whatever it is, you know, whether it's a dessert or soup or anything. So sometimes being able to identify, first of all, why they crave that food, what it is that they love about that food. Is it really the taste or is it a memory? Is it a smell? Is it a texture? We're able to sort of isolate where that comfort comes from. And then when we do, then it becomes easy to put in say, a healthy substitute if that dish isn't healthy and still give it the same level of comfort because we're, we are addressing something that's not necessarily physiological and it's not necessarily about the nutrition and about the taste. Does that make sense? It does. You know, one thing that comes up a lot when I say that I'm vegan or I try to not to eat wheat or refined sugar, <laughs> people are always like, well, how do you enjoy food? And I think what people don't always understand is that there is pretty much a healthy or holistic alternative to anything and something that isn't just as satisfying. It's usually more satisfying because a lot of these foods with refined sugars or wheat or whatever, they're meant to make you crave it. They're meant to have that addictive sensation. The ingredients they use are actually addictive. So I want to give an example of a replacement for something that we might think is a staple in our diet, or we might think we can never give up, that we can possibly swap out for a healthier alternative. So what about comfort food? What is somebody really craving and what's a possible alternative? Well, like I said, it actually kind of depends on what it is, like why they feel they need that. Sometimes it could be physiological. Sometimes they might be craving chocolate because they might slightly be deficient in magnesium, or they might be craving 
sleep, then it could be an adrenal issue. You know, they might have some adrenal fatigue. They might need some more support with that part of their body from a physiological standpoint. So there's that to consider. When it's comfort and it has nothing to do with physiology, when it's comfort and it has to do with, say, an emotional place, I usually tell people to reach for something that's sweet, but that's a whole food. So it could be fruit because sometimes they just need a little bit of sweetness and it doesn't need to be a dessert that's, quote, bad for you. But again, it's hard to say because it really depends what that person is craving it for. You know, are they craving it because they feel some deficiency somewhere that we can address by supplementing it in other ways through other types of foods or even supplements and vitamins or plant medicine? Or is it from a place of emotional comfort that they're needing? So it kind of depends. So I know that we are all unique and individual, so our diets are going to reflect that. But is there something that you consider a universal staple that you recommend to anyone if they want to level up their health regime? Okay, so hands down, I believe in the power of green. So whether or not you do a green juice or a green smoothie, or you have at least two meals with a ton of dark green vegetables in it, it will enhance your life. It will change your life. It will make your hair grow. It will help alkalize, stabilize, detox you, give you energy without the need for caffeine. But it's something that you really need to do very consistently. So I am a green juice a day if you can do it person. And that doesn't mean green juice that has a ton of like sugar and fruit in it. I mean, green juice that really has the power and the concentrated nutrients of all those vegetables, the vitamins and minerals that really fuel our bodies instantly because they're easily absorbed, they're easily digested in the form of juice, or you can do it in a smoothie. Those would be the first and second ways I would recommend it. And if you're not someone that likes to do juices or smoothies, then have them as majority servings in your meal for at least two meals. So that's 100% for sure. And those foods are not just great for your heart chakra, but they're also very grounding. And I recommend, of course, organic. It's very, very connected to earth energy. So that's something that really kind of helps ground you, stabilize you, gives you energy throughout the day, depending on when you have it. And that's why we have all these super greens and just add water, because if you don't have time to go out and grab a green juice, make yourself a smoothie, and you feel too full from having, you know, greens take up two thirds of your plate, and you have something like that because there's eight super powerful super greens that are in it. So that's 100% number one. And I believe in daily detoxing instead of doing a massive detox that may be uncomfortable, you know, every so many weeks or months. That's when you start your day with that warm lemon water. The first thing that you put into your body when you wake up, because our bodies have been cleansing, detoxing, resetting, and refueling while we sleep the night before. And you want to allow your body the opportunity to just get all of that out. And so 16 to 20 ounces of warm water with some fresh lemon squeezed into it every day is the best thing that you can do for your body. And then you can follow that with your juice or if you need to have your coffee or whatever it is that you need throughout the rest of your day. But start your day that way. And Give yourself some space, you know, give yourself about a half an hour after you're done with that before you have other things put into your body. And it really, really makes a big difference. And you'll see it. You'll see it physically. You'll feel it in your energy, but you'll see it in your skin. You'll see it if not everyone has circles under their eyes, but you'll see it and your body will show you. And those are two very, very simple things from a strictly food perspective that you can do. Oh, hey, I'm actually proud of myself. I have been doing all of those things. I have been adding beets and carrots to my green juice when I want something a little sweeter. Would you say that that's too much sugar for a daily juice? Well, it depends what else you're eating throughout the day. Carrots and beets are great. I mean, they're full of phytonutrients. They're really great for you. I like to have them separate. So if you, but if it helps you put down a green juice, then do it. It depends on what other sugars and sweets you're putting in your body as well. So if you're not doing a lot of other natural sugars are fine, but if you're not doing a lot of other fruits or vegetables that are high in sugars, you're not doing desserts and that's your intake and that's great. But if you are thinking about having several servings two or three times or more later throughout the day, 
then you just want to be mindful because in, with juices, it's such concentrated amount, right? So that's the only thing that I would say. But carrots and beets are great for you. Well, I'm just so impressed by you and your knowledge. But I am curious because I know that in Asian cultures, the pressure to follow the standard path of success is usually a lot heavier than maybe what my parents put me through. So I'm wondering what gave you that courage to forge your own path and follow your happiness despite the expectations that your family or your culture might have placed on you? Oh my gosh, that's a great question. And it was really, really tough. I mean, let me tell you, my family, uh, I, I went from white sheep to black sheep. I mean, they thought I'd lost my mind. They thought I was disrespecting my dad's memory because I wasn't going to law school. I mean, my elders actually told their friends that I was in school for several years after I was done because they didn't want to tell them that I was, you know, a chef and they considered that a very blue collar service type job. So it was definitely challenging. And I think that there were two reasons. Part of the reason I went to culinary school was to study the culinary arts and to see how I could merge it with you know, the healing arts of plants and medicine and use food as medicine and as a tool for healing others. The other reason that I wanted to go to culinary school was because my dad had this dream that he would retire one day and open up a little mom and pop shop with my mom just because he loved food and he loved to cook. And they tried to cater on the side while we were growing up when we were younger, but it was too much to have both my parents work full time. And then to try and cater on the weekends just wasn't something that was realistic when they had two kids as well. So even though I'd never actually really cooked while I was growing up, I ate and I observed and I watched a lot and I helped a little bit here and there. I just felt like I wanted a chance to help my dad live out his dream. So instead of going to law school and having crazy amounts of debt and then feeling like, okay, I did that. Now I've earned the right to go and do what I want to do and go to culinary school and try that. I just decided to skip from A to D and just go to culinary school. And, you know, I think that in some way, my dad helped me make that decision. I also went out and took out all the loans before I told anybody. So I was locked in which I knew because I knew if I talked to my mom or I talked to my aunts or I talked to anybody about doing it, they would talk about it. So I went and I pulled loans and I already had that. <laughs> so when they told me, I was like, it's too late. I've got all these loans, so I'm going to have to go. Um, well, you know what? Thank you for sharing that because I do not hear enough people talk about the fact that they might have had to go into debt to fund their dream. So when I was starting Mind Love, I remember just thinking, well, all of these other people must have had their parents' money to actually take the time not to get paid and to put all the effort into this. So it was a struggle for me, and it was kind of isolating. So thank you for sharing that part. And also, I think there is some value in the idea of having to put some skin in the game when you're trying a new venture. Which also brings me back to why it is so important to do the work to figure out what makes you happy. Because I got to a point where I realized this is going to make me happy and the investment is worth it. My happiness is worth it. I am worth it. It just comes back to doing the work where you feel that about yourself. And a final question that I'm dying to ask that I think could really serve some of the listeners out there who might be starting their own venture or following their passion is I'm really curious about how you took your desire to become a chef and you became a celebrity chef. What did it take for you to make those connections, for you to level up to the elite status? When you were following this dream, I mean, some of these connections even helped save your life at one point. And gosh, I'm still, even hearing you say those words, I'm so grateful. I feel like I've been, I mean, we all are. We're all so divinely guided. We all have angels and it's just sort of about paying attention sometimes, right? But going back to your question about the type of clients that I've had and what led me down that path was when I was in culinary school, I knew that I loved to create, I loved cooking, I loved what I was doing, but my personality fit was I loved my rapport with my clients. I loved my rapport with the patrons who were 
eating the food. And I loved the energy that kind of went along with that process. So being on the other side of the swinging doors in a kitchen, in a restaurant, and not having that connection to the patrons, to our consumers, to our clients, there was a disconnect for me for that. So I knew even while I was in school that I wanted to work in sort of a private catering sector because it helped me connect my energy with the food and then with the food to my clients better. So at the very end of school, they take the top five students to do what's called an estage. So it's almost like a very short internship. It's only for four or five days. And they took us to the Beverly Hills Hotel because at the time, this was when they did the night before party. So it was the night before the Oscars. I don't think they call it that anymore, but this is what it was. And it was a really big deal. It was the biggest end of the year before the Oscars and probably one of the biggest nights you know, of the year in general because you have all Hollywood there. You know, everyone's an A-lister. There's no 15-minute people there. They're all A-listers. And I remember walking around this party and then we had turns at the different stations. And I remember I'm at the shrimp scampi station. We're making orders ready to go fresh. Like people come up to the station, the stand, and they order what they want, much like a lot of these buffets now. So I'm standing there making shrimp scampi and I look up and at Harrison Ford, who was Indiana Jones my entire life growing up, who was also my hero. And the reason why I wanted to be an archaeologist when I was five was because of Indiana Jones. <laughs> so I look up and I realized I'm cooking for my childhood hero. And it was such a cool feeling. And I thought, this is what I want to do. I want to be cooking for people like Indiana Jones. And I decided that that's what I was going to do. So when I applied for internships, I only applied for internships that were like that. Actually, I really only applied for one internship. But I, even entertaining and looking at other internships, the only one that I was interested in were the ones that gave me that sort of freedom and access. So I ended up doing my internship at the Playboy Mansion and I was there for a few months. And then after my internship was done, they hired me on as a junior chef. And it was incredible because it opened the doors for me. At the time, there, it was a very exclusive venue. And so the type of patrons and the type of clients that came to the property, to the different private events that they had there were sort of my first steps into that space where I could call myself a celebrity chef because that's where my clientele, my list started to build from that point. So that's how it started. Well, thank you so much for sharing your journey with us. It was totally insightful for me, not only some of the health and culinary aspects, but also just your journey to the top. So this was really fun. For listeners who are interested in learning more about you, where is the best place to connect with you online? Well, on the website, it would be serenaloves.com. That's www.serenaloves.com. And that will have access to the TV show and also to Just Add Water, which has its own website and everything that I'm doing. And then on Instagram, it's at Chef Serena Poon. So there you'll also find the links. You'll see what I'm doing. I would love for you to be a part of it. You'll see what we're doing with the TV show. You'll see what we're doing with Just Add Water. All the links are there as well. That's sort of the main site. Okay, friends, challenge for you this week. What are three ways that you can better take care of yourself? Is it your body? Is it your mind? Is it your spirit? Write them down. And if you don't know off the top of your head, start to list some of the areas that you're not quite satisfied with life. Start to take note of your emotions throughout the day and see if you can notice any patterns or trends. This is how you get to know yourself. This is how you start to spot your needs. And the great news is, the more you do this, the less you really have to think about it. You learn your body's language and you're able to just tune in and kind of feel and hear your body's signals so that you know what to give yourself later. All of the links mentioned in this episode, including Serena's website and her Instagram, which is full of useful tips and tricks, are at mindlove.com slash 081. You can support the show by supporting our amazing sponsors. Again, I only partner with brands that I really do love and fully believe in. 
If you're enjoying Mind Love, tell a friend, family member, or coworker about it. And don't forget to subscribe. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing five stars is also a really amazing way to give back to the show. And last, don't forget to sign up for the Morning Mind Love at mindlove.com or text MORNING to 444-999 and connect with me on social at mindlovemelissa. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 